Hi, and welcome to Office Hours, the broadcast of Westminster Seminary, California, that takes you inside the seminary. I'm Scott Clark. We're talking today with the Reverend Dr. Lloyd Kim, a 1999 graduate of Westminster Seminary, California, a published New Testament scholar, sometime adjunct professor of New Testament at Westminster Seminary, California, and regional director for Mission to the World for Southeast Asia. He's author of Polemic in the Book of Hebrews. This title is available through the bookstore at Westminster Seminary, California. Hi, Lloyd, and welcome to Office Hours. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, we're glad to have you. We're glad that you're uh, back in the USA for a little while and, and able to spend some time with us. We were talking about this uh, before the broadcast. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and uh, and how you got where you are. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Well, I was born and raised in a small town in the Central Valley of California, a town called Turlock, and uh, grew up there pretty much all my uh, adolescent life. After that, went to university at the University of California at Berkeley. What did you study? Studied industrial engineering and operations research. And that was good preparation for your current work. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had sort of a lightning tower experience at university, which dramatically altered my uh, call in life, I guess, my vocational call. Um, but indeed, I did finish my engineering degree and went off to work in Los Angeles for about a year uh, and then continued um, to pursue the gospel ministry. And that's how I landed at Westminster Seminary starting in 1995. Now, where are you now? Right now, I am a missionary in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, with Mission to the World. All right. We'll talk uh, more as we go on about how you got from uh, here to there. But what was your church background growing up? Uh, I was born to Christian parents, and my father is Presbyterian. Um, My mother, in fact, grew up in South Korea uh, as a child of a Salvation Army officer. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, when they had immigrated to the United States in the late 60s, uh, we moved to that small town and had been going to uh, essentially an evangelical free church hmm. pretty much my life. And what happened while you were at university? While at university, I frankly came to realize that the cultural Christianity that I was growing up with uh, was in fact real and came under deep conviction of sin and a realization of the reality of God. And as when that um, sort of light clicked in my head, I realized that I needed Jesus as my personal Savior. And there was a radical transformation in my life from that point in asking different kind of questions about my future, my vocation, my calling, things like that. Uh, it was a tremendous time of spiritual growth for me, a mm-hmm. tremendous time of falling in love with this God that I grew up with. Hmm. So your experience in university really, in some ways, was the fruition of, of the way you were raised to some degree and, uh, and uh, maybe a personal realization and inheriting of, uh, of the promises that were made to you as a, as a covenant child. Absolutely. I think the um, prayers of my parents and hearing the gospel every day for so many years— had, uh, as you put it, come to fruition during those very um, transitional times of my life where uh, questions of identity and questions of uh, 
who I was came to the fore. How did you get then from Berkeley and your and your experience in Turlock in a broad, more broadly evangelical setting to Westminster Seminary in Escondido? While at university, I was introduced to a Presbyterian church, a Korean-American Presbyterian church in San Francisco. And that's when I had, um, I wouldn't say I first heard the doctrines of grace, but was uh, introduced to the doctrines of grace at a time when I was more receptive to to hear and to listen. And uh, through that experience came to a deeper understanding of, of the gospel and of grace. And then after I had finished university, I moved down to Los Angeles and worked for about a year um, in a big firm in uh, downtown and began attending a PCA church, another Korean-American church called New Life Mission Church. Mm-hmm. And that's when I uh, become became more thoroughly con- convicted and convinced of the Reformed doctrines of grace. Now, you are and have been uh, on the mission field for a number of years. How did your training here at Westminster Seminary, California, prepare you for what you're doing? And and talk a little bit, perhaps more broadly, about your experience here as a student. I really enjoyed my time here at Westminster Seminary and really felt like it was um, opening up all kinds of doors and and um opening just opening up my mind to put things together uh, i was not trained uh, theologically before would not consider myself a theolo- theologian in any sense of the word before coming in fact uh, i studied engineering so i felt very new to um thinking about theology and philosophy and so when i came here it was like all the pieces started coming together Mm-hmm. And uh, even things like history and economics, and and essentially, I realized what Westminster gave me was a very consistent worldview, mm-hmm. in which to put things and and categorize things um, in a very precise and and concise way. And it has been tremendous for me, um, not simply to sharpen the skills that I have for ministry here in the United States, but to bring those skills the ability to think theologically, to think biblically, to the mission field. Because as I was sharing earlier today, uh, when we're out there on the field, we need to think about all the implications of the things that we teach to literally generations of Christians. Uh, We're setting, in many ways, the foundation of what Christianity is, by definition, what it looks like, how it plays itself out in the life of the church, the society. And so I feel that without these tools, these tools to think theologically, to wrestle with things in Scripture, to answer the questions of the day in the mission field, I would be at a tremendous loss, um, simply perpetuating either culture or perpetuating traditions or perpetuating things that um, people that I work with would not have any reason to follow other than that's simply what the missionary told us to do. Something must have happened, too, while you were here intellectually, in as much as, you know, you came to us uh, without, uh, I assume, training in, in Greek and Hebrew. This was the first time you really engaged those things, and, and yet you ended up going on to get a Ph.D. at Fuller in New Testament studies. So talk about, you know, what it was like to encounter the New Testament and the and the Old Testament in their original languages and, and how that changed you. Well, it was Uh, quite frankly, quite a challenge at first, and I felt very inadequate. There was a deep sense of feeling behind and feeling um, 
like I needed to catch up. That's intentional, by the way. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that <laughs> we, thoughtfulness. We try to do that. So. <laughs> Anyways, that was my motivation to really apply myself to the rigors of, of these languages. And uh, through that process, I, I fell in love with, with theology. I fell in love with studying uh, the original languages and, and seeing that this great process of literally studying the Bible has so many um, wonderful vistas and, and things just opened up. And so it was just a wonderful experience for me. And uh, I just asked God, God, if I could continue to do this, it would be wonderful. And he opened up doors to allow me to study more. And uh, that's what happened. And you not only did you go on to, to study at Fuller, but uh, after you graduated here and while you were studying at Fuller, you did some teaching for us. Uh, you taught the English Bible course. That's right. And um, Greek one. And Greek one. So you got some teaching experience while you were here. And uh, I must say that uh, the student evaluations, which I had the uh, privilege of reading back then, were just glowing. We're sorry to to have lost you, but uh, we're grateful for the gifts that God has given you and that he sent you off to uh, other parts of the world. And uh, after you finished your work at Fuller, uh, or perhaps even before you finished, I don't remember the, the chronology, God called you to uh, where? We started our mission missionary work in Manila, Philippines, and there we were involved in theological education, teaching at a local Presbyterian uh, seminary, as well as doing different church planning works all throughout Southeast Asia. And how long were you there? We were there two and a half years. What was it like? How uh, how did it go? I mean, you so you experienced theological education in North America, and now you find yourself in the Philippines doing something like this, you know, the same thing in a completely different context. How did it go, and what did you learn? What did you see? It was a tremendous opportunity for growth for me because um, it just required a great deal of adjustment, and um, it was quite it was quite different, to be honest with you, because you're dealing with language issues and culture issues and educational level issues, and so it helped me to, quite frankly, simplify a lot of things that I had uh, assumed that people would know and also wrestle with different cultural things that were very much a part of um, my educational background. And so it was a tremendous amount of growth, a tremendous amount of learning that uh, went on during those first few years. And where are you now? We are now in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, continuing to do church planting work in the region as well as some theological education in the region as well. Now, at uh, lunch, I had the privilege of watching a, a slideshow, and you, you know, showed us pictures of what's going on and talked about some of the people that you're reaching and some of the work that's going on. Talk a little bit about what you're doing, what's happening, um, the kind of work that's being done. What, what's the focus of your work in Cambodia? The focus is primarily church planting, but it is our conviction that we would like— um, to work with Cambodian pastors, and so much of our work is in training, mentorship, and discipleship of the future leaders of Cambodia. We have both a city ministry and a village ministry. In the city, we are working with church planters who have a desire to reach the influencers, uh, creating a resource base, a leadership base, in order to reach the outlying countryside. In the villages, we have missionaries who are literally living with and among the people, and working, mentoring, and discipling bivocational church planters. And so essentially the ministry is a church planting work, supplemented 
by those who have a desire for a medical ministry and mercy ministry as well. Now, there are a lot of people who are overseas and doing things and asking for support and help and so forth, but they're not always focused on the uh, institutional organized church. And so I, I think it's interesting you said that your goal is to plant churches. Many people in answering the question would say, well, our, our goal is to reach the lost. And of course, that's the goal. Why the focus on the visible institutional church? After all, isn't it the case, don't we all know that the original apostolic church was a charismatic, charismatic, unstructured community? And it was that out of that dynamic that flowed the exponential growth of the early church and and if that's so, why would you stifle it with the institutional church? Well, we believe that the church is God's plan for salvation of souls, and God uses the visible church, the uh, the local church, as his instrument in sharing and in showing what community is. And so we're committed, um, not only individually as missionaries, but as a mission agency and as a denomination to seeing the local church in its growth, with all its problems, with all its, you know, uh, sins, being the light and, and the salt in, in these communities. So you don't accept the premise that the New Testament church was this unstructured, charismatic, charismatic, dynamic community uh, on top of which was later placed an institutional church that sort of stifled all of that? Well, I'm sure that there were parts of the early church that were charismatic much as there is today, but I think that the picture— that one-sided picture is a little bit too one-sided, and uh, that there probably was a much more diverse church where structures we see in the New Testament already that were in place. And um, Sure, and, and that's why I bring it up, because it, the caricature that the uh, 19th century Germans drew and the early uh, 20th century uh, critics drew uh, of the early church relied on that sort of dichotomy between, uh, you know, charisma and dogma. Right. And uh, that's been picked up by lots of evangelicals, even some folks in the uh, emergent movement right. have picked up on that. And so I'm just uh, having a little fun trying to get at that caricature. Let's talk for a minute about the research that you've done in the book of Hebrews, because uh, you are a teacher. You do teach in schools, and you, uh, and, uh, you did do some interesting research in the book of Hebrews that uh, our listeners will want to know about. We're talking with Lloyd Kim, by the way. This is Office Hours, the podcast of Westminster Seminary, California, and he um, published his doctoral dissertation, and the title is Polemic in the Book of Hebrews, and you can order that book from Westminster Seminary, California at the bookstore, wscal.edu slash bookstore. First of all, why the book of Hebrews? Uh, what, what was it about Hebrews that attracted you to it? Well, I've always been fascinated by the book, even early on, and I think coming to Westminster Seminary with its rich history of biblical theology has really influenced my understanding of scriptures, but also my interest in the book of Hebrews, which um, in many ways lays out a lot of the same sort of redemptive redemptive historical hermeneutic that uh, we've been introduced to here at the seminary. One of the distinctions you make in the book is between anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism. What is the difference? Because there are some people, and even in contemporary evangelicalism, who would say, if you're critical of Judaism, you are ipso facto an anti-Semite. So how do you sort that out, particularly in the book of, of Hebrews, and then maybe in our setting as well? In the 17th century, John Bunyan gave us the character, Mr. Valiant for Truth. In the 20th century, God gave us another Mr. Valiant for Truth, 
J. Gresham Machen, the founder of Westminster Seminary. The spirit of Machen lives on at Westminster Seminary, California, where for 30 years we've been fulfilling his vision of training men for ministry and preparing them to be expert in the Bible. WSCAL.edu, 888-480-8474, Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. Well, I, I think those terms are much more modern terms and are much less familiar to the context of Hebrews. And so that, that's simply the point that I think is made, that anti-Semitism is more of a 19th century idea that uh, draws specifically from what had happened after World War II. Um, Judaism is, is simply uh, more generic and more broad, less, less of the political idea of uh, being specifically against the Jewish people, but it can also include ideas of Judaism and practices of Judaism as well. Here's a question. What do you mean by the term supersessionism, or what do people mean by it, and, and how does that figure in your work? Yeah, some of the more modern scholars would use that term to describe Christianity replacing Judaism. Mm. And for many liberal scholars, I think that rubs them the wrong way and uh, has caused some tension between Jewish communities and Christian communities. And how do you resolve that relative to the book of Hebrews? Well, essentially, it's, it's not um, a matter of one literally against the other, mm-hmm. but it's more about fulfillment and seeing Christianity as the fulfillment of Judaism, and that's good news for Jewish people as well, mm-hmm. uh, not to see that it is literally a different religion replacing another religion, but it is the natural intention and overflow and outpouring of, of God mm-hmm. uh, with the Jewish people and seeing, seeing that culminate uh, with his son Jesus Christ. One of the themes that you address in the book is the social context of the book of Hebrews, and something that uh, a lot of New Testament scholars, or to which a lot of New Testament scholars have called attention in uh, recent decades, is the Jewish setting mm-hmm. of Christianity in in the early decades of the church. That's right. Uh, talk about that a little bit, and why is that important, and how does that influence the way you read the book of Hebrews? Yeah, the, the Jewish uh, setting is important. There have been a lot of debate uh, in studies of Hebrews, whether the original audience uh, really was Jewish or what, whether it was Gentile. And I tend to believe that it, it was Jewish, but our picture of the Jewish church is much more diverse, I think, um, than we had originally thought. There there are a lot of Hellenistic influences and things like that uh, in and among the Jewish communities. But as far as the book is concerned, um, a lot of this background is helpful in understanding the author's main desire to convince his Jewish readers to remain faithful to the culmination of their Jewish faith, which is which is faith in Christ, faith mm-hmm. in, in Jesus himself. Now, how does your research in Hebrews figure in your ministry in Cambodia and your mission to uh, that largely unreached country? That's a great question. I think some of the problems that are occurring in the book of Hebrews, namely that people who have come to faith in Christ are feeling incredible social pressure to revert back to their old faith, hmm. namely Judaism, has led the author of Hebrews to come up with this incredible theological masterpiece in convincing them of the supremacy of Christ and the glory of the Christian faith and really asking them to uh, press forward and, and persevere in their faith 
uh, in spite of all the shame that they have, in spite of all the pressure that they have uh, to continue because of the glories that they see by faith. And this is the message that we really bring to a church that is young and living in a larger society that is antagonistic toward Christianity, where the local believers are feeling pressure from their family, from their society, to revert back to their old Buddhist religion, Hmm. how this message really does hit home in describing the honor and and the privilege they have to continue, and the shame that they would feel if they abandoned their faith. What proportion of people in Cambodia are Christian and what proportion are Buddhist? The numbers are very difficult to determine precisely, but there's been a recent report uh, profile of the Christian church in Cambodia, and they estimate um, evangelical Christians being from 1% to 1.5%, I believe. Uh, And then the rest of the population predominantly is Buddhist, but there also is an ethnic minority of of Muslims, hmm. as well as some Roman Catholics because of the Vietnamese influence. So we have a very large job ahead of us, too, Absolutely. to reach the Cambodian people. This would be maybe a good question with which to end our interview. How can people, how can the listener help you? How can the listener pray for you specifically? Well, that is a, uh, a great question. I think right now um, the work in Cambodia is developing by God's grace and mercy But, of course, with the development of the ministry, there will inevitably be challenges and problems. And so to pray um, for our partnerships that we have with the local Cambodians with which we work, as well as the new team members who are joining the team, there would be a genuine spirit of unity and like-mindedness, and that we would be able to go forward in faith and in confidence of God's leading uh, us. If somebody wanted to support you directly, how can they contact you? They would just go to www.mtw.org and uh, look us up as one of the missionaries, and there are instructions on that website that would be able to help our listeners um, support the ministry in Cambodia. Okay, and they would be looking for MTW for Southeast Asia, Mission mission to the World That's right. for Southeast Asia. All right. Well, we've been talking to Lloyd Kim, a Westminster Seminary, California graduate from 1999 and missionary to Cambodia and author on the book of Hebrews. That's it for this edition of Office Hours. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Clark. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. Thanks to the bookstore and thanks to Young Me for graphics and to Adam Klaus and Brendan Link for technical assistance. You can hear all the previous episodes of Office Hours online at wscal.edu slash office hours, or you can get them at iTunes. Don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to Office Hours in iTunes at wscal.edu slash office hours. Write us at office hours, one word, at wscal.edu. Call us at 760-278-1725. Leave a message and we may use it in a future broadcast. For more information about Office Hours or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online or call us at 888-480-8474. Copyright 2010, Westminster Seminary, California. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to our website is preferred.